Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party ADCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. Welcome to the Cloud Architects podcast. Chris is ill, but we have Warren back. Warren, we missed you, buddy. But at least you've got a really good excuse of that you've been busy for a while. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, dude. Um, it's good to be back. Um, good to be back in the swing things. I actually had like two full weeks of leave, um, which hasn't happened in a very long time. I got married, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. My destination wedding, lots of beach, sand. It was fun. Honeymoon. And yeah, it was good. I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, you should know you were there. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, no. Not going to lie, it was cool. great. No, it was a good one. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I was really, I was actually ready to come back to work. Um, mm. Yeah. So it's been a good week. And we were firing on all cylinders and happy to be back. And, you know, I think today is a very special episode because, you know, we've had a sponsor on the podcast for a really long time. Um, and they've actually been pretty integral in um, helping us get the right equipment and making yeah. sure that we were always ready for Ignite. And, yeah, super proud to have someone from Kemp finally on the show, to be honest. Yeah, so um, let, let, I'll time. let him introduce himself. Jason, Jason from Kemp Technologies. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks a lot for that. And uh, congratulations as well. I happy to hear that. Um, yeah, so I'm Jason Dover, Vice President of Product Strategy at Kemp Technologies, and um, covers a wide range of, of responsibilities across product management, uh, product marketing, uh, working with partners, um, also looking to the future and developing new solutions along with our engineering team that allows us to stay relevant and help customers uh, solve the, the challenges that they're facing today in, in, in IT. Uh, historically, I, I actually worked in the enterprise IT space myself in administration and engineering, uh, primarily working with Microsoft workloads, uh, Exchange, SharePoint, uh, Active Directory, and the like, uh, predominantly in the banking community. So one of the interesting projects I worked on a while ago was with the New York Stock Exchange, actually, uh, when they went through the acquisition of, of Uranax, Life, Ames, and a variety of other exchanges and working with a, a really great team on mm -hmm. integrating those systems, which was pretty cool. So I was excited after having that background and, and kind of empathy as being a customer to then come to the vendor side and help to actually develop the solutions that helps uh, ensure that applications are highly available, secure, and the like. Nice. And the color Gosh. and the color scheme the, uh, and the new logo and stuff. Um, when that came through, I was super super happy with that. Yeah, we were happy to get that out as well and, <laughs> and have a little bit brighter, <laughs> even brighter colors with with our yeah. our historic Kemp yellow. And now we've added in the the, the Flowmon colors as well. We actually acquired a company called Flowmon Networks back in Q4. It's more uh -huh. of a teal aqua. So we've been working with the marketing team on kind of blending those those nice color schemes. And it adds to our core load balancing, app delivery, 
web application firewall functionality now with deeper network visibility, some capabilities for network detection and response as well. And for us, it makes perfect sense, right? We obviously operate primarily at the application tier as an application delivery controller. Uh, Flowmon brings to the table a lot of capabilities when it comes to deeper networking visibility. Load balance is part of the network, but it's only but so much that it can really see and do down at that layers. And, and our vision is ultimately connecting those dots, right? If I can give yeah. you context on what's happening at layer seven combined with what's going on deeper in the network, you've got a much better chance of actually figuring out what the problem is. Is it the application? Is it a server? Is it the network? And that wide range of vantage point also gives you some interesting capabilities in terms of mitigating and detecting security issues as well. So more than just uh, new colors we'll be adding to the uh, to the to the playbook. But uh, that's really cool. And something that and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I mean, for years now, the loadmaster has been the loadmaster and is still the loadmaster, right? Every single capability you guys have added over the years has just plugged straight into the loadmaster. It's like just your fundamentals. So if you install the Loadmaster back in 2013 and you put it in front of Exchange because it was pretty much, look, it was pretty much the only one that could do it, right? I mean, you literally hit the go button and it was like, there you go. You can do your, your SMTP, your, <laughs> your HTTP all in one go. But like you look at the, the Loadmaster today, again, it's very similar, right? So there hasn't been like one of those things where you have to relearn your entire certification to understand how the product works. Once you knew how it worked and it would like literally the virtual would install anywhere. And I think one of the topics that we want to cover today around the, the, the Z tag is that's, it's a module, right? Well, acronym, I mean, acronym. All oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> zero trust access gateway. <laughs> Sorry, you know, working for Microsoft, I assume everybody knows them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think let's let's talk about ZTag and 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 how I mean that just plugs in, right? I mean it's like literally just plug it in. Yeah, you're right. I mean the the, the Loadmaster is a platform ultimately, and we've built an architecture yeah. that, to your point, you can just plug in additional capabilities. We even have something that we call the Add-in Framework which allows us to build bespoke pieces of, of capabilities and that can literally just be installed and now you've extended it. Um, on ease of use and so forth, that's also another big part of our, our play. We uh, have built an approach that's catered to the folks that own the application, right? So even if you're not networking expert or you're not an expert in a specific domain of the problem we're solving, we intentionally want to make it easy for you to leverage the product. So that's why you're seeing that kind of uh, progressive evolution, but it's not changing uh, the usability uh, too much. On the zero yeah. trust access gateway side of things, you're absolutely right. Uh, of course, we're seeing a big increase in customers looking to start to bring zero trust principles into their ecosystem. And so we've extended some of the capabilities that we have to help customers more easily realize how your load balancer can actually contribute to it. So leveraging our API, some modules that we built, configuration templates, it allows you to get the load balancer in a state that starts to bring zero trust principles into play in terms of the applications that you're publishing, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it because the load balancer often is a critical part 
that you're using for publishing applications. It may be one of the pieces of your network that's as close to the application as you can get to. I'm seeing all ingress from incoming client requests. I'm seeing all egress from server responses. That's why you wind up getting consolidation of stuff there. Where do people put their certificates uh, many times? It's at the load balancer. Where do I do pre-authentication? Where do I actually do the decryption in many cases? Is that the load balancer? So given that, as it's sometimes said, privileged position that the load balancer has within the application network, it's a great pace to consolidate some of these other services. People are really leveraging it for web application firewall. So it's a place where you can also start to uh, adopt some zero trust principles as well. So let me ask you then, since we're talking about zero trust network architecture and in terms of the whole zero trust framework, it would fit into network segmentation. So I want to have discrete network segments and I don't trust everything. I trust uh, as few things as little as possible. How does a, a load balancer fit into that from a security point of view? But we understand that from front end, it would it would be the, the facing side of the network, if we want to call it that. So you're presenting your, your virtual IPs out there, and it's your presentation layer. But now we're talking about security, and we know that load balancers can do a bunch of security stuff, which is pretty cool. But we're talking zero trust specifically. So how does a load balancer fit into the whole zero trust network architecture principle? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I guess if we think about you know what zero trust and zero trust network uh, architecture is in a uh, from from the base that that helps to give us some clarity, right? Because when you think about zero trust, it's really more of a mindset, right? It's it's not mm. a, a specific product. It's not a specific technology. Of course, there are some things that have been developed in the last decade plus. I think the the concept of zero trust you can probably date back to two thousand four. And it's went through this progression over time, but it's really a mindset that says, here's how I'm going to treat attempts at connecting into my ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about the traditional approach, you had somewhat of a, you know, the castle moat model that we all mm -hmm. uh, probably have heard or were familiar with, or, you know, depending our, on our age, maybe we've implemented that model ourselves at, at our customers, right? I was just about to say. <laughs> <laughs> this, is like this, this big perimeter at, 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 the, at the edge, right? And, and then yeah. anyone who's trying to connect from outside, I'm going to assume if you're outside, uh, that there's a potential threat there. But if you're inside the, the network, well, everything's okay. You're safe because you're inside. And, and that really with the way that IT has progressed is a, is a bit of a faulty model from the beginning because even with the castle mode i've got this strong perimeter there were always going to be conduits and vectors to get in right do you, you have... plug in a network cable exactly you plug in a network yep. cable from inside and even from outside well do you have email gateways that i can connect mm -hmm. to if i look the right part do you have uh, dmz servers that have some sort of daisy chained access to backend storage in some way well, that's how attacks happen, right? I leverage those small vectors and with enough work, effort, skill, there are, there's still some ways to get through that moat and the walls of the castle, right? So mm -hmm. things have progressed anyway because the fixed perimeter has changed, right? There, there, there often isn't as fixed of, of perimeter with work from home, mm -hmm. which of course we, we know has been on the, the rise mm -hmm. over the last 15 months or so. 
uh, if yeah. you look at bring your own device, you look at cloud, oftentimes the entities that do need access to services are no longer within that perimeter. So I'm already in a place where I have to start to allow for things that are beyond the edge to connect in a secure way. But then yeah. when we look at the threat side of things, well, where are most threats coming from? Well, they're coming from inside a network oftentimes. Even if it started outside, it's I've gained some level of access to your privileged access system. I've been able to escalate. I've hijacked a legitimate user's device in some fashion. And then I'm using that to, to move forward. Now, ZTNA, I would say, is a specific product underneath the zero trust uh, architecture model, as it were. And there's a number of providers that have bespoke ZTNA solutions. Um, different models are in place for some of them. You may have more of a, a simplistic routing architecture within your environment. The only hop to get anywhere is the gateway to the zero trust uh, cloud architecture as an example. And same way from outside. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you, you change all the DNS for all of your services to point to the gateway for that cloud service. And it can handle a lot of the, the, the processing of identity and so forth. Mm -hmm. There's another approach though, right? Which is customers are just saying, well, to start, I may not be ready to go that far yet, but I can take what I do have in my network ecosystem. I can figure out who needs access to what, what are the right flows, and I can arrange the elements within the network ecosystem in order to start bringing in some of the principles of zero trust, which we mm. can dive into as well. So to the first question of how a load balancer fits in, I'll give you a, a scenario. We work a lot with uh, object storage, right? So okay. customers have been increasing in the use of object storage uh, for internal private cloud applications, right? Of course, it started more popularity with public cloud. I now have these new applications that follows the principles associated with cloud native, and I can be more agile. I can get more value out of the, the data that I have by bringing object storage in-house as well. Well, many of the object storage solutions have some limitations in providing granular access control and also in really doing a good job at applying least privileged access, right? So in, in a object storage context, it's normally applications that are the clients as opposed to actual users, right? The load balancer can play a role there because I can look at different network segments that applications are coming from. I can look at information within their HTTP headers. Normally authentication headers might be leveraged for doing the authentication. And I can make granular control decisions about, well, this application with this authentication header coming from this particular network segment, should you have write, read, and delete access, or should you only be able to read as an example? But that that's same application, cool, eh? yeah, yeah. That, that's just an example of the type of things that you're able to do. So again, because I'm in that privileged position, I can see all the header information. I can see what you're attempting to do. I can really help you apply a strong least privileged access mm. based on various parameters of the connection attempt that you're making. And you can then essentially remove a lot of the complications around the storage then, right? So the storage account or the S3 bucket or whatever the case may be is, you can then, drop it down as much as you want. I mean, it needs access from one place, right? The, the load balancer. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The the load balancer, like we we noted earlier, is often being used for uh, doing pre-authentication as an example mm. as well. Well, I can also make decisions there. Uh, if you're coming from an internal environment, as an example, I may not require as many factors of authentication. But if you're coming from external, I may require additional factors of authentication. Think about exchange, right? You know, it's, it's funny when microservices started to become a uh, more popular approach. It, it really reminded me, made me think of exchange, right? Because you have all of these different bespoke services where you need different levels of access to, whether it was ECP, the database, the transport, et cetera. It was kind of a similar concept, even though it wasn't marketed in that way, right? But a lot of applications are being built that way, where I've got these different bespoke services that can somewhat operate independently for all the mm -hmm. benefits that we know that are associated with with, with MSA and DevOps, right? Um, well, there may be cases where, again, the access level and the specific services that you have access to should be different under different circumstances. Are you connecting to the VPN? Are you internal? Which security group are you a part of? Or are you external? So if you've got an application like that, where you've got these different elements and different services, again, you can leverage the load balancer to make a real-time routing decision that says you should be able to access, using Exchange as an example, you shouldn't be able to get to the admin console if you're coming from an external place. Now, of course, some of these types of things you may have ability to control at the application level, but from just a, a, a management perspective, being able to get away from swivel chair management and use this element that's already in place provides convenience for a lot of customers. And you know, Nick, I'm gonna say it. I say it every show. I say it in most places, Kubernetes. <laughs> I, I I was um I, I I don't know when it was released, but um I know that the loadmaster has an ingress controller for Kubernetes, which I find is also incredibly cool. Um, the fact that you can now integrate these um, DevOps pipelines into your Kubernetes deployments, and that you can deploy an ingress controller and you can control and manage the ingress ingress controller on a Kubernetes cluster with the loadmaster, I find that really powerful because, like you said, the certificates are sitting on the on the load balancer, and how many Kubernetes deployments I've been involved in, mm. where the ingress controller and the cert manager pods and deployments don't talk to each other and it's a complete disaster trying to get the stuff mm. to work. Mm. And it's so cool <laughs> that Loadmaster just puts them all into one place. Really, really cool. I love the fact that there's an ingress controller for the Loadmaster. Yeah, thanks. We we certainly were seeing a lot of interest from customers. And I would say we, we had worked in that and kind of closed alpha and beta for for some time and, and really went through a strong customer development process. We didn't want to just jump on the train like a lot of vendors were doing and say, hey, we're doing something for Kubernetes that was just a me too and not really that interesting. Um, but yeah, we, we worked on making it easier for when you're publishing applications. You need the dots connected between what's going on inside of your container ecosystem and what's going on in your publishing endpoint, mm. which often is the load balancer. So being able to bridge the gap as containers spin up, as they spin down, have them connected to your virtual service endpoint based on annotations is a, 
is a, a again a simplified way of administering that type of environment and of course our capabilities plays into there as well because i'm making those decisions live of distributing traffic so you can say well i have this containerized application that's running uh with being managed by kubernetes under these circumstances this traffic's going to be allowed uh to route here or there but under these circumstances it's not so really getting that granular level of access control and also being able to have a default state of no trust, right? Because one of the biggest principles of zero trust is that by default, I'm not going to uh, assume trust of any entity. And so you can have default rules that are configured that says, well, everything's going to get blocked, right? It's mm. often not thought that way, but a load balancer really is a basic layer for firewall, right? You, you only are able to allow traffic flows that you explicitly define and elsewise everything get, gets blocked. So again, it plays uh, this kind of last line of defense and helping you to start to bring these types of principles into, into play. So Jason, where does a customer start? And I'll, I'll take you back in terms of context to the comment that you made around castle and merge thinking and architecture and that customers are still often on premises wanting to consume something in cloud, maybe also publish a workload themselves, so effectively become a private cloud to themselves, but externally facing. And they're thinking in terms of castle and moat and firewalls, and I'm secure because I spent all this money on a firewall. Where do they start with rethinking towards zero trust principles and where, where do they begin? Or is this a cloud play only? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think you've got to go back to first principles, right? About what is zero trust actually about, right? And it's, it's I would say, four things, right? It, it's that you're doing explicit verification of everything, right? So you yeah. can authenticate before you allow connection. Um, you're going to have, you know, additional authorization under certain cases, and you're going to take into play identity, context, and conditions, right? These inputs, right? And you're going to use that in terms of decision making. As we just talked about in our, our examples, it's about least privilege. So I'm just going to provide just in time and just enough access based on my strong policies and the jobs to be done in that specific session. I'm going to have application-specific access, which is another big part of things, right? The, the challenge with the VPN approach is, well, I'm allowing potentially untrusted, unsecured devices to actually have layer three network access to my ecosystem, right? Which then makes lateral movement a lot easier, right? If I can get in to access application A, well, do I even have the ability to look around to see what the additional uh, vectors are? that I can perhaps access what the additional applications and services are because I'm literally a part of a network, right? Is that really something you wanna do with contractors and consultants? So that third principle is about how do I provide access specific to a particular application at a given time for a restricted period of time and nothing else. And the mm -hmm. fourth one is, of course, well, you're going to assume malice, right? I'm going to assure yes. that I am have end-to-end -end encryption. I'm going to leverage detection and response technology so that I can monitor connections after they're established because I'm going to assume that there's a chance that even someone who's good today or an entity that's good today 
isn't necessarily that way tomorrow or even a few mm. hours from now, right? So it comes back to just realizing what you're trying to actually accomplish. So how do people get started? Sure, one way is just I go all in on a cloud-based sassy zero trust model. And I would say vendors that are specializing in that are starting to make it easier to have a transitionary process from what you have today. There's some models where you can even deploy that type of architecture alongside your traditional ecosystem, which includes mm -hmm. all your firewalling, your, your, your NAC and your other solutions that you have in place. And that's one model. For other mm -hmm. customers, uh, just starting to identify that, that these are the objectives that you have, inventorying what you have inside of your network and figuring out how you might arrange those elements to address those principles is a way that a lot of customers uh, find to be practical. Mm -hmm. I say it's kind of a five-step process, right? So you know those principles and you say, okay, what does my environment look like in the first place? You need to inventory it and you need to define the surface area as is often said that you need to protect right that we, we used to have the phrase of you know reducing attack surface you can but only do that so that? much we assuming that customers have got inventory and they know what they've got and tell me how many customers you have who know they've got racks of hosts and vms and we're assuming that they know what they have. So how do they even get started with something as basic as inventory? You're right. That That's a big challenge. Uh, we find that as well. You know, we ask customers about the number of applications they have. What's the actual performance requirements of the app? Yeah. And, and there's a question mark, right? And look, there's a variety of different tooling that you can implement that helps you to start to get a picture of what the environment looks like. Uh, we talked about our Flowmon acquisition as an example and network performance monitoring being one of the elements there. Well, if you deploy a probe within the environment, you can start to get a picture of who's yeah. talking to who, just as an example. And what are they doing? Is it all encrypted traffic? Is it not? You can get down to more characteristics of what those servers uh, and applications actually look mm -hmm. like, the types of mm -hmm. flows which network segments are communicating with which other network segments and the like. And you're, and you're likely to actually start to learn some interesting things that you had no idea about, right? So yeah, yeah it, it takes some effort, it takes some work and it's a journey, but the first step has to be getting some visibility because otherwise you have no idea what you're doing. You, you can yeah. start putting in policies, putting in rules that's gonna break things. You're gonna have mm the legal department not able to get into their legal discovery share or whatnot. So you've yeah. got to put the tooling in place to start to getting an inventory of what's going on if you don't already have some tools in place that helps you to do that. Um, after that, well, you build a map, right? You, you've got the raw data. And I literally mean build a, build a map, <laughs> right? You should draw visually how things are connecting. What are the... Mm type of application flows that are in the environment, making some calls. Should they actually be there or can you go ahead and plug some holes right away, right? And once you've got those two pieces of Intel, well, the next step is, is gonna be, you're gonna start to architect, right? You're gonna say, well, what do I have? Do I have a network access control system? Which load balancers do I have? How am I firewall set up? I yep. may start to selectively bring in new elements into the environment as well. If I'm not using cloud-based identity that allows me to unify my approach for my on-premises workloads and my external workloads, 
this might be a good time to start inventorying or reviewing, I should say, some of those. Uh, mm -hmm. I may look at next-gen firewall as an example. If I, we talked about Kubernetes and such, if I'm using a very lightweight layer four load balancer because my applications are cloud native, I may start looking at bringing in a more mature, uh, more uh, feature rich load balancer that can actually make more intelligent decisions at layer seven and start to build that architecture. Yeah. Uh, next up, I'm gonna define the policy, right? Probably following some sort of uh, similar, something similar to the Kipling model, right? Where I'm looking at the who, what, where, when, why, and I'm gonna answer those questions. And I should literally do that on a sheet of paper or a mural board yeah. or something. Who needs access to what, for what reasons, under what circumstances? And then I'm gonna look and see, well, how do I apply that? And we talked a little bit about our solution, our architecture that we call Zero Trust Access Gateway. That's exactly what, what, what we follow. So that solution provides uh, XML configuration files where you're able to literally go and define that the who, the what, and the where. Uh, leveraging an infrastructure as code automation module that we've built on top of our API, where you then feed that uh, configuration file into that uh, automation script. It talks to the load balancers that you have deployed and it applies that policy and gives you some feedback and logging on what's happened, right? If you mm -hmm. need to change it, well, you, you have an option to just update it because sometimes configurations do change some customers yeah. uh, like to just run that on a regular basis so that if there's been some local configuration, perhaps that's unwarranted or was unauthorized that happened, well, you're able to just reset that back with an automatic run every 24 hours or something like that. But you're going to have to have some model, and this is why this is going to take time, because you mm. need to see what you can do with the building blocks that you have inside of your network. And then the last step is you've got to monitor it and refine it. Right. So you need some model we talked about at the start that you may leverage network performance monitoring and visibility solutions to get a picture of what's communicating with what. Well, after mm. the fact, you need to continue that ongoing monitoring so that you can make changes as needed. You're going to need to engage with your business units, which, again, this is why Zero Trust is really mindset, its approach, its policy. Right? You're going to have to engage with the business units to understand well, how are things going in the environment today? Are we having more support tickets because people can't access what they expected to be able to access? And that monitoring plays another part too. Again, the, the principle in zero trust is that you're going to have continuous verification. So you're gonna need to connect the dots with your network detection and response solution, with your web application firewall, with your pre-authentication. You want strong rules that said, even if I've allowed something to connect, if there's a violation of policy, you're, you're doing something suspect, right? Well, those communications should be cut off and I need a way to log them uh, into my environment. And, and that I would say is the, the general process of how you get started. It's not something you're going to flip on tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, we've got zero trust. But if you follow that blueprint, we've seen plenty of customers that started to bring these principles in progressively uh, over the course of, of a few months. Do you, do you find that perhaps maybe the terminology is becoming a little convoluted now? Um, and I'll, I'll explain why I say that is, mm. you know, we often get told the load balancer is a load balancer. Firewall is a firewall. A WAF is a WAF. 
uh, or web application firewall. Um, and since the introduction of software-defined networking and cloud, um, slowly starting to find that the OSI model is getting shorter, right? <laughs> we don't care about the layers anymore at the bottom. The layer one, the layer two, and even now, almost layer three is all those things that we don't even look at anymore um, because we're more interested now at the layer sevens and, you know, making sure that the applicant, like you say, you know, Zero Trust, we're inspecting the packets, the headers to the storage now, whereas before it was writing to a disk. Now we need to inspect the headers, which are going through an API call, which then follows a different process completely. And... I'm, th I'm thinking Gartner and I'm thinking a whole bunch of these things where they say we've got these magic quadrants about all these things and these firewall suites that happen, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Um, Kemp doesn't have a firewall. I mean, it's not a firewall, but it is a firewall. <laughs> uh, you, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, so do you find that Kemp is being pulled in multiple directions to add specific features to the product and how do you make the decision on not calling it a firewall because i mean look you know when we think about what the definition of a firewall it's an echo it's an access list access denial allow goes that way or that way you know that's the basis of a firewall if you start including deep packet inspection and all that kind of stuff it's another technology now. it's not an echo anymore so how does Kemp choose what to put in the product and what not to put in the product is the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is like, do you consider yourself a security vendor um, mm -hmm. in the space of the Palo Altos and the, I mean, cause look at, at the end of the day, they have had to create suites of products to stay relevant. And I would say third, which is something that's always intrigued me is, do you have more virtual load masters out there now or still physical? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay, I'll try, I'll, try to, I'll try to answer those in order. <laughs> so first off, Sorry. yes, I totally agree. Um, the naming and nomenclature has gotten very convoluted. I think yeah. you're right. Since SDN started to become a household whole phrase, uh, the acronym soup has just been going crazy, right? Mm. And, you know, it's, it's part of the confusion, you know, as, as vendors have contributed to confusion on making it clear what customers actually need under certain circumstances. And there's some customers that think you need everything. You've got, uh, you know, some senior folks in ivory towers that hear something, they go to a conference, they talk to their Gartner analyst and said, ah, we need that acronym. And now the teams are running around trying to figure that out. So that's dangerous, I would suggest. And vendors need to be clearer about what's needed under what circumstances. Hmm. I guess it's just par for the course to some degree, though. Um, on the second point about uh, how we figure out what customers need and what you actually build and are we trying to address every single use case, it's really just zeroing in on what our common customers are ultimately trying to solve for, right? And that's how this solution came about. You know, I'd love to just say I'm a genius and just dreamt this up, right? But this came from customer engagements that said, hey, look, yeah. we've got applications. We're not ready to like overhaul our entire network ecosystem as an example, but we need to add additional layers of security. I need more granular controls. I'm also starting to bring in some 
I'm going to use a marketing term to some degree, DevOps principles into my environment, right? Because I'm trying to be faster, more agile. It's a initiative from our, the office of the CIO. You could combine those things if you can help me to address the security challenges, but help me to start to bring these modern SecOps principles in through automation. That would be great, right? The, the customer doesn't care about SDP or ZTNA or any real acronym, they have a problem that they're trying to solve. So our focus ultimately is just zeroing in on jobs to be done and what are our customers trying to solve for? Uh, and do we believe that there's it's representative, right? It's not just this one customer in this remote random place, but are we mm. seeing this trend? And that's what we've seen. Like I noted earlier, you know, we're doing a lot in the object storage space, primarily working with Dell EMC, on that front with their their ECS solution, we've seen it pop up there. We've seen other customers with large scale, you know, front end web applications. We've seen it pop up there. We've seen it pop up in the education space with customers with learning management systems. So mm. there were some indicators that this actually had some legs to it. And so that that third point about um, you know firewalling and the like. It's again similar. So, so no, we're we're not claiming to be a direct competitor of Palo Alto, as you mentioned, as an example. But there's some aspects of the what a Palo Alto could do that a customer mm -hmm. also expects from a load balancer these days. The exactly. the bar has risen on what yeah. you expect out of your load balancer. Is the point? It's not just for yep. traffic distribution, right? If you rewind back, load balancers were about. Yep. I need to get past the single capacity of a standalone server instance. Oh, with modern exactly. x86 and advancements in Intel, that's not often a problem. You've got to get to many, many users with, with very high workloads mm -hmm. to actually be beyond the capacity of a single server for your typical SME to, to, to small enterprise customer, right? So I'm looking for the load balancer to do other things, consolidating security functions. I expect to get some level of analytics out of the load balancer. Uh, that shows me what's going on from an application experience perspective. What, what are my users actually experiencing when they connect in? I'm expecting you, again, in that privileged position to contribute to my security architecture as well. So this is why you've seen some expansion from us, from other vendors, where you're starting to add these ancillary satellites that adds more value to the load balancer because that's how customers are making their decisions today. If I do just have a simple cloud native app doing layer four load balancing round robin, I can go to any number of sources, even some open source stuff to just address that. It's when I have a more complex ecosystem, which if I'm uh, of uh, an entity that's been around for a while, I probably do. And customers are making their decisions based on these types of things. Now, the other question around the you know, layers of the network, I, I agree there too. There's much more focus on what's going on at layer seven. And it makes sense because that's where most of the, the threats today are happening, Happen. right? They're, they're happening at the application level. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a focus there. I can also simplify things. When I do think about my access control uh, approach, I can take a model where I just focus on doing everything at layer seven. That said, you are missing a bit if you do that, right? You, you think about if I am monitoring an environment and I have some sort of network virtualization in place. Well, I'm not going to get a lot of information if I just monitor at the abstraction level of the network virtualization. I'm going to see the tunnel, mm -hmm. 
endpoints and I'm going to see a bunch of, you know, UDP, but I'm not going to have a real ability to dig in and actually understand what's going on in the under the hood. It's only if I go down a couple layers, uh, I, I strip off the encapsulation header and can actually look inside to understand what the communication flows look like. So yeah, there there is more focus on application layer. I personally think that's the right move, but you can't ignore the network because the network's still there. It's still what I'm going on top of. It's still the highway that I'm leveraging. So you need to have some visibility there. You need to have some uh, uh, connection there to actually have a clear picture of what the state of the ecosystem is at any given point in time. Cool. I think I, think I covered all, all of them. Uh, virtual versus physical. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I knew I forgot one. <laughs> but you did incredibly well. I'm super impressed. You did, well done. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think in magic quadrants. So when, I, when, I, when, I, when I'm having a conversation like this, I kind of put the things in boxes and just go and grab them. I know. But I ran out because I, I only have four mental <laughs> mental quadrants. Um, virtual versus physical. Yeah. So we're certainly seeing... Uh, an increase on the virtual front. Uh, again, if you rewind back a bit, customers weren't as comfortable with virtualizing network functions like the like the load balancer. Uh, you expected, you know, that those types of infrastructure critical things needed to be hardware for reliability and so forth. That's changed, I would say, with the advancements of, of virtualization. VMware, of course, being at the forefront of that, mm. along with others. Uh, SROV and other technologies, there's just more of a general comfort level there. And the flexibility that you get, being able to move things around, uh, perhaps move things to the cloud, that's part of the of the driver. I still will say you have certain scenarios where customers still prefer hardware, right? So in multi-tenant ecosystems in certain cases, yes, you can get to multi-tenancy by just having different virtual instances and setting them up with strong controls uh, on how traffic routes between each other and leveraging our management plane. But there's still just a leaning, I would say, towards that. Because if I have a complex multi-tenant environment, I may want to have, you know, quote unquote, guaranteed performance levels, right? And mm -hmm. I may or may not have the skill sets uh, needed to do the implementation. Because right, when you think about the virtualization, I do have a bit more complexity, right? If, if I've got a performance challenge, as an example, I have to figure out or work with my vendors to figure out, is it the vendor software? Is it the hypervisor or is it the hardware, right? And so mm -hmm. some customers still prefer the comfort, you know, the phrase one throat to choke, as it were, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It comes in hardware. I've told you it can do this. It can operate this way under these circumstances. And they go from there. But I would say still that trend is moving uh, towards mm. the, the virtual front. Virtual. And we're seeing a big increase in, in virtual sales. Okay. Nice. Do you still, as Kemp, give away virtual load balances to Microsoft certified folks? Absolutely. <laughs> that's something that's been a, <laughs> a long-standing uh, model that we've had. You know, we really value the Microsoft community. Uh, we've worked with, uh, you know, historically the MCMs and MVPs and PFEs and all the other E's <laughs> at Microsoft. <laughs> we've got invaluable feedback over the years that's actually fed into the product as 
Uh, many who are familiar with Kemp know, you know, we worked with uh, with the Microsoft team specifically around Exchange and other workloads uh, when that suite transitioned and started to require, you know, what I would call a real load balancer as opposed to just DNS. Yeah. And working with that community has been a, a, a big help for us from a learning perspective and ultimately helping us to build the right things for customers who who have been deploying Microsoft workloads. So our NFR or not for resale program uh, is something that's still available. You can find it on the website, put the information in and uh, we'll, we'll make sure that you get something that you can deploy in your lab. The coolest thing I remember was we were seeing Microsoft content occasionally <laughs> coming out with screenshots of our load balancer in it, uh, you know, from from different uh, Microsoft uh, technologists, which was a pretty cool thing. So we're happy cool. to to do that and keep working with that community. Mm, that's, awesome. that's stunning. I'm going to add that to the, the show notes so it's easy for our listeners to find who doesn't like a free load balancer. <laughs> So we're coming up to the top of the show, and this is where we yeah. like to ask our guests, what would they like to plug? So Jason, do you want to tell us, what is it that you've got that's burning on your heart that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, I would say definitely check out our Zero Trust Access Gateway Architecture Solution. Uh, if you visit the website at kemp.ax, uh, right under the Solutions tab, you'll find a, a menu item called Zero Trust Access Gateway. Check it out. There's a wealth of content that talks a bit more about the concepts that we've been discussing, what is Zero Trust all about, and how you can leverage your load balancer to start adopting some of those principles. Uh, you can follow me on, on Twitter at uh, JYSDover, that's D-O-V-E-R. Uh, and we also have launched a podcast as well called the Application Experience Insights Podcast. Uh, you can also find that directly on the website. Uh, that'll also be included in the show notes. When we're going to be on the next episode. <clears throat> I look forward to it. I can't wait. <laughs> You've been a fantastic guest, Jason. Thank you ever Thank so you. much for yeah. the time. Thank you so much. It's been fun as always. And uh, great to see you guys again. Hey, everyone. Before you go. We just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc. <laughs> <laughs>